You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, The Darkest Night, is part one in the series, Agony and Victory, The Easter Story, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, it's so good to be back home. I want to say thank you to uh, Craig Mintz and uh, Corbin Kulig, both for preaching while I was away. I understand they did an amazing job, and uh, thank you uh, for uh, just being you as a church. I love being your pastor. Thank you for that privilege. And I'm going to ask you to find in your Bible today Matthew chapter 26, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read several verses from this chapter today as we turn our thoughts toward Easter. Easter is only three weeks away, and we're just going to take some time in the next few weeks to talk through this gospel story, which is the cornerstone of our faith. And we're going to look at the horrible agony that Jesus endured when he was betrayed and arrested and falsely accused and mocked and beaten and nailed to a cross and buried. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the amazing victory of his resurrection on the third day. And that story of agony and victory contains the power of God to save everyone who believes it. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So this gospel story that we're going to be just talking slowly through uh, is the message that saves those who were lost in their sin. This is the story that saved your soul if you're a Christian. Uh, This is the story that saved those who were baptized today. And this is the story that the apostles all died for because they would not be quiet about what they knew and what they had seen that Jesus did when he died and was buried and rose again. And this is the story that many of our brothers and sisters around the world are putting their lives on the line to share. Uh, I returned from India this week, and I'm going to say thank you for sending me on your behalf. I partnered with my dear friend, Dr. Koshi. I want you to see his picture. Uh, Dr. Koshi is, and by the way, I'm wearing a, a flower garland that they put around your neck to welcome you. And uh, I don't know, I kind of liked it. I think I should wear one every week. What do you think? But they, uh, uh, they put that around my neck and said, welcome, thank you for being here. Uh, partnered on your behalf with Dr. Koshi, an amazing man. He's a, an orthopedic surgeon who gave up his practice. His wife, by the way, is a MD pathologist who gave up her practice in order to run a mission hospital that serves everyone in their area of Delhi, no matter who they are. Uh, They don't even break even. Uh, They gave up great incomes in order to do this, and they run on the same campus, a, 
a Bible college and a seminary, and they bring pastors in and train them and send them out all over India. And so I just want you to see some of the faces of those we were able to minister to. Uh, these, are, uh, these are pastors from all the different states of India. Uh, look at the next picture. Here are some from a state that you've never heard of before called Sikkim. There, there are pastors from the state of Nagaland, from Manipur, from Chhattisgarh, from the country of Bhutan. Very few Christians are there. The country of Myanmar, uh, the country of Nepal. And uh, then I, I was able to preach, and I was the only one. I mean, it was just me, and I preached my heart out. Uh, I've been nine times to do this, and this time was different. Because now, they're been enacted in almost every state in India, really strict anti-conversion laws uh, where it's a, it's a non-bailable offense if you're just accused of forcing someone or bribing someone to convert from any other religion to Christianity. And uh, in fact, I talked to one pastor's wife from the state with the strictest law. And it's run by militant Hindus, and they have enacted this law where if you're just accused of, of converting someone to Christianity, uh, you automatically go to jail, and, uh, and then there's a mandatory 10-year prison term. By a miracle of God, this lady and her husband got, a, uh, got out on bail and the reason they were arrested was that they were doing a, a Christmas, just a couple of months ago, a Christmas outreach in a very poor village where they had taken clothing and some little toys and some food for the children. And uh, some militant Hindus showed up. There were five of them. That turned to 40, then over 100. They incited a riot, accused them of forcing conversions. Uh, the mob attacked her husband, put him in the hospital. Uh, she had her kids with her. She was shielding her children from burning cars and broken bottles. It was a horrific scene. And uh, so they were arrested and She's out on bail and I interviewed her and she told me this whole story and, and she said, uh, you know, it looks like we're going to end up having to go to prison. I said, what are the chances? She said, they're almost certain. I said, well, what will you do? She kind of chuckled and sipped her tea and she said, I, I guess God's putting us in prison ministry now and we're just going to serve him in that way. And uh, so these kind of reports are coming in from all over. There was a, a really odd kind of a sense of gloom over the whole pastor's conference, about 400 pastors as we began. And so th this last picture, I'm, I'm just trying to talk about being, uh, how to face discouragement and uh, and it was while I was preaching about that, I just felt led to ask anyone who was there who came to the conference discouraged. Uh, 
to just raise their hand. And, and every hand went up. And I turned to my translator and I, I said, I don't think they understood the question. He said, they understood. I said, well, let's ask again. So I said, if, if you came to this pastor's conference just discouraged in your work, feel like giving up, you don't know how you're going to keep doing what you're doing, serving the Lord, all these anti-conversion laws, all these threats, and you're just discouraged, will you lift your hand? Every hand went up. 400 pastors. My plan was to ask the ones who raised their hand, to ask people to gather around them to pray. I said, you're just going to have to pray for each other. And so they began to gather around and pray for one another. And God did something amazing. A work of encouragement and, and courage and strength. I wondered what in the world is the most pampered, spoiled pastor in the world doing talking to people like this who, uh, who minister under that kind of a threat. But somehow God used it and, and, uh, and God greatly encouraged them and, and it turned into a real uh, wonderful time together. And I think they all left with a new fire and a new zeal to go and serve the Lord in those places in a tough situation. So thank you for sending me. I was reminded, thinking about today and talking to you and looking in Matthew chapter 26, that this story of, of what Jesus suffered, the agony, and then the victory of the resurrection, this is what people like that put their lives on the line to share with others every day. Because this is the only hope for lost sinners. It's worth whatever it cost us to share that message with others because this is our only hope. So in Matthew 26, we read about the darkest night in Jesus' life. And I say that because what we read about is a night where an astounding amount of activity and, and uh, teaching and ministry and sorrow are all compressed into a short period of time and it's all important to the gospel story, and it all points to the cross. And so as we read, uh, I just want to share with you three decisions about the cross that Jesus made in this chapter. I think it's going to encourage you, lead us into this time of uh, sharing the Lord's Supper together this morning, okay? So three decisions about the cross that Jesus made. Decision number one is that Jesus saw it coming. Jesus saw the cross coming, but his choice was he did not avoid it. Though he could have, when he saw the cross coming, he did not avoid it. Uh, let's read in Matthew 26, verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. And this is what we've been preaching about since the beginning of the year. Uh, Jesus preaching about hypocrisy and then going into this time where he's telling his disciples about the end times and his second coming and he's warning, he's preparing them. And so after he had finished all that, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified so he knew it was coming. This is not a surprise. Uh, 
Verse 3 says, Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Uh, So the chief priests and the scribes and the elders were having these secret meetings, plotting to kill Jesus. They thought they were going to surprise him, but Jesus knew the cross was coming. It was his plan from the very beginning. He was resolute about it, that he was determined that he was going to the cross to die in our place so that we could be saved. They thought that they were going to surprise him by killing him. Turns out he was in control from the beginning and he knew it was coming. It was his plan. The Jewish leadership thought they were controlling the narrative and the timing of it all. But it was Jesus who was in control of the whole thing, making sure that he arrived at the cross at just the right time to die for our sins. And here's what blows my mind. He could have fought it. In fact, later in the chapter, he tells Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that I could call on legions of angels to come and just wipe everybody out, but I'm not going to do that because this is my hour. This is the time that I have planned for. This is why I came. And so when he could have avoided it and fought it and saved himself, he didn't do that. He could have run from the cross, but instead we find him running to the cross. And he did that to save us. Uh, Look at verse 14. The Bible says one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. And so Judas... He thinks he's in control. He's looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus to the officials. But Jesus, it turns out, was the one in control of this whole situation. In fact, it was Jesus who made sure Judas got the opportunity to betray him because he was determined to go all the way to the cross. Jesus was resolute. He was purposeful about it. He was in control the whole time. He saw the cross coming, but he did not avoid it. He did not avoid it. The second decision that Jesus makes about the cross here is that he decided to symbolize it. Jesus symbolized it so that we would never forget its meaning. Look at verse 17. It says, Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man. Say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. You see, Jesus had it all planned. He knew what was coming. My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house 
with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. They prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now what is this about? Well, the disciples had been celebrating as Jews. They had been celebrating the Passover all their lives. They understood the significance of it. It was a meal that was supposed to commemorate the last plague in Egypt when God was forcing the hand of the Egyptian ruler, Pharaoh, to let his people go from slavery and to set them free so they could go take their place in the promised land. And so God was sending all of these plagues. The tenth and final one was the death angel, which would pass over Egypt And all of the firstborn of every human being and every animal would die. And so God told his people, here's the way out. Here is your salvation. Every family, sacrifice an innocent lamb. Collect some of its blood. Paint the doorposts of your houses with the blood of that lamb. That way when the death angel passes by... He will see that blood as a substitute for the people inside. And he will pass over that house and everyone in it will live. And so in that way, God saved his people from the judgment that he brought on that land. Every year since that time, they remembered what God did for them with a Passover meal. The disciples knew the routine, that the meal began at sunset when the host would raise a cup of wine and pray a prayer of blessing. And then they would eat the roasted lamb and the unleavened bread. Jesus, on this night, took two of those elements of that Passover meal and gave it a new meaning. He took the bread and he took the cup. Verse 26 tells the story. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus takes the unleavened bread and he makes that a symbol of his body, which was going to be broken and wounded by a beating and the nails of the cross. And then he took the cup of wine, and he made that a symbol of his blood which would be shed to cover our sins. And the message that he was sending was clear through those two elements. The message was, now I am the sacrifice. Now I am the lamb whose blood will be shed. Now I'm giving my body and I'm shedding my blood As a substitute to cover your sins and to save you from judgment. This is your salvation. 
So we're going to do what Jesus instructed and use those two symbols today as we observe the Lord's Supper together. And so uh, Jesus saw the cross coming. His decision was, I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to run to it. Jesus symbolized the cross so that we would never forget its meaning. The third decision I find in this chapter is that Jesus surrendered to the cross because it was the only way to save us. Uh, Let's read this section beginning in verse 36 down through verse 46. It's so important. Listen to these words. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul, and listen to how he expresses what he is feeling and what he's going through. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now that cup he was talking about, it was the task ahead of him. This is what he knew he had to do. And he compared it to a cup that you have to drink. He said, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand." So what's happening is that with no support from his closest friends, Jesus kneels alone in the garden to pray. He is, in his own words, exceedingly sorrowful, deeply distressed by this cup that he knows he has to drink. The task that he knows he has been assigned to and that he has to fulfill. And in his Humanity, we see something incredible as he struggles and he prays and he falls on his face and he pleads with his father and he comes to terms with what he has to go through in order to save us. Three times, he surrenders his will to the will of his father, knowing what that surrender will mean. It will mean Torture, pain, 
humiliation, shame, betrayal, denial, injustice, and finally, death. Why would he do that? Why would he surrender himself to go through that? And the answer is simple. He did that because he loves you. And he knew that was the only way to save you. He surrendered to all of that because he knew this is what it's going to cost to take responsibility for their sins. This is what it's going to cost to suffer the judgment of God that they deserve. This is what it's going to cost to open the door of salvation for all of them. And so we're going to remember this today in the way that Jesus told us to do it through the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper. Here's what I want to ask you to do. We're just going to have uh, some time with uh, no singing, just someone playing. And it'll be an opportunity for us to just think and pray and reflect and above all, to remember. This is what Jesus said. Do this to remember me. And let's remember what it's all about and this story that saves us. And if you've never before put your faith in Jesus and trusted what He did when He went to the cross to save us, then this would be a great time to do that, to just call on the Lord, Lord, save me. And so uh, let's, let's observe this time together. I want to ask all the deacons who are going to be serving you to uh, take their places at this time. Uh, the chairman of our deacons is Houston Hodges. Houston is going to come and uh, do what Jesus did when he served his disciples, and that is to pray a prayer of thanks and just thank God for all of us for what he did and for what this means. And then we're going to pass these elements around. Make sure that you take two cups. They're stacked together. The bread is in the bottom one and the uh, cup that you'll drink is on top. And uh, so uh, let's prepare to do this. And by the way, you may be a guest here today. And here's what we believe. If you belong to Jesus, you belong with us. Your family today, we want you to join with us and observe the Lord's Supper along with our church family, okay? All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, today our ears have been reminded, Father, and our eyes have been reminded, and our minds have been reminded about what Jesus did for us. Father God, my prayer this morning is more importantly than that, that our hearts are reminded of what Jesus did for us.
for taking our life of sin and shame and giving us an opportunity at salvation. Father, may we live our lives in such joy of that very first time that we realized what you did for us. Take us back to that point. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to know you. For your son, then we pray. Amen.
On that night, Jesus broke the bread and he blessed it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. Can I ask you to stand with me? And uh, listen, let's just thank God again. I want to ask our pastors to come forward and be ready to talk and pray with anyone who may need to come. If you need salvation today, please don't miss this opportunity to just come and say to one of our pastors up front, look, I I need that. I believe and I I need Jesus. Or let them explain it uh, to you and to help you to understand the gospel and what what it means to be saved. And uh, it could be that you just need to come and kneel in prayer or there may be something else on your mind. Let us help you and you just come and pray at any time. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we've just observed, how we've remembered. And Lord, when we remember this way, it's, it's powerful. We, we think of all that we've done that's been forgiven. Lord, I was just standing there and thinking about all the ways that I have sinned, all the things that I've done that dishonor you, all the ways that I've I've not lived up to even my own standards, much less yours, the ways that I've broken your law, the things that I've done that have been sins against you. And then I think, Lord, of how you made a way through your death on the cross to cover my sin forever and to forgive me and cleanse me and I'm grateful thank you so much thank you Lord I thank you for this precious treasure that we have this story of the gospel to tell to others to give them hope and God I pray that we would cherish it like a treasure and share it that way with others as we lift up our voices now and just sing praise you I I pray that you would bless this time of worship and we ask it in Jesus name Amen Hey if you enjoyed today's podcast be sure to subscribe and share And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.